0: If you would turn with me in the scriptures to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Thessalonians is right before Timothy, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we are in this passage this evening because as you would study Isaiah 11 verse 4, you would find that in the passage we're going to read in 2 Thessalonians 2 that Paul, the Apostle Paul, alludes to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, in uh, which Christ is prophesied in coming and destroying the works of evil. And here, uh, in our passage, in verse 8, he speaks of that in Isaiah 11, verse 4. When it has to do with the Antichrist, and he alludes to Isaiah eleven four when he speaks of it, and so we're going to hear more about the Isaiah part of this uh, next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But here we're going to hear about the Antichrist first. So we're going to read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through twelve. Second Thessalonians verses two, verses one through twelve. Before we read God's word, let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank You for Your Word. We're thankful that we have Scripture to interpret Scripture. We're thankful that Your Word is perfect. As we read in uh, the call to worship, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And everything is laid manifest, shown forth to You, the God with whom we have to do. And even these things that sometimes bring trouble in the church, uh, Father, we pray that you would grant us wisdom and discernment, and that you would grant us a righteous application and uh, how we ought to live uh, in regards to these truths that we hear this evening. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know that withholdeth Now what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And those are God's words. And again last Lord's day we heard and covered Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 all about Christ Jesus. And verse 4 again alluded uh, alluded to these uh, to there in 2 Thessalonians verse 8, uh, 2 verse 8 regarding the destruction of the antichrist. And how that destruction of the antichrist will come, we're going to hear more about that. Lord willing, the destruction of the Antichrist next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But this evening we're going to study the Antichrist, knowing most of you have probably not at length considered from the Scriptures who the Antichrist is, even in in Sabbath school, uh, probably have not studied systematically who he is, uh, and uh, returning then, Lord willing, Uh, to the passage where we should be in Isaiah 11. Uh, But first, uh, we need to study the Antichrist proper, the doctrine of the Antichrist. So this evening, uh, maybe more of a doctrinal sermon of who the Antichrist is. We have to then ask the question, who is the Antichrist? We have to... um, not speculate, as many do, but as it turns, it is best for all of us to search the Scriptures, who teaches us, the Lord who teaches us, who is the Antichrist, what is true of the Antichrist, that we would then know that Christ will destroy that one. And we want to exalt in Christ, that's the goal. And um, so the first point this evening, the doctrine of the Antichrist, the doctrine of of the Antichrist. And we're going to go through many Scriptures. And we're going to see what are the characteristics of the Antichrist that Scripture says first. That's what we're doing in this first point. So what does Scripture say? Uh, Daniel 7, verse 8, as well as verse 23, teaches us that the Antichrist leads a nation. He's a king Or a series of kings symbolized there in Daniel by multiple horns. Remember uh, throughout the Scriptures, horns are often referring to kings, uh, those in authority who have been anointed uh, to be king. It says there in in that passage, Daniel 7, "...I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots." And behold, in this thorn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. And thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Those verses communicate uh, that the Antichrist kingdom as well comes out of the Roman Empire. And if you remember, some of you remember when we were in the book of Daniel and uh, we studied in chapter 2 of Daniel the statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds, right? And uh, there are four parts of that statue and the very bottom part, the feet uh, of iron, uh, shows forth the Roman Empire, uh, if you remember that, of which will be destroyed. And... uh, the horn of the Antichrist, we just read, being amongst the little horn, and the three of uh, the first horns plucked up. And then Revelation 17 and 18 confirm this as it speaks of Babylon, the whore of Babylon, right? The Babylon which Rome is being spoken of there. As well, we just read that he, the Antichrist, speaks pompous words. Uh It says in Daniel there, a mouth speaking great things. And Daniel 7 as well, verse 21-25. He makes war with the church. It says, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. That's obviously prideful, pompous words. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into His hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. And so in the same passage, it talks about not only that He makes war with the church, that He speaks pompous words, but He also changes laws and times. That's Daniel 7. But then think of Matthew 24, verse 15. It refers to Daniel, and it says, "...when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation..." spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. He stands in the holy place. In other words, he is in the church. He is part of the church or appears to be in the church. He stands in the holy place. And this is confirmed in our passage, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. It says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so he's in the temple, which is a reference to, of course, the church. He's in the church. And verse 3 of our passage also communicates that the Antichrist is a deceptive officer in the church, an office-bearer in the church. So it says, "...let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first." and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And we could go on with some other passages in John 17 that uh, refer to the gospel being uh, proclaimed by Christ, the gospel of Christ being proclaimed, and it's here where there is deception of that gospel uh, by the Antichrist. And so he's deceptive. And there will be a falling away in the church apostasy from the church led by that son of perdition the antichrist same verse Matthew 24 verse 24 it shows that the antichrist deceives with signs and wonders and miracles even many in the church will perish the the visible church will perish because of it because of those signs and wonders and miracles so perform It says, "...for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect." And then you put that with our passage that's speaking specifically about the Antichrist in verses 9 and 10. And it says, "...even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders." "...and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved." So there's people who are in the church, and yet they're deceived because of these wonders and signs, and they perish. Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14, it says, "...and He doeth great wonders," speaking of the Antichrist, "...so that He maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men." And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which He had power to do in the sight of the beast. And then you consider as well that connection with the working of miracles that He is a false prophet. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 and 2. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder... And the sign of the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods. And so the same one is performing the sign, and it comes to pass, and uh, then he says, Let us go after other gods, because, uh, excuse me, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve, that is, worship them. That's the same false prophet. Uh, that's a false prophet, and that we will see more of when we speak of his blasphemies. The antichrist speaks blasphemies. We're going to speak about that in a few moments. Same thing there. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three: The antichrist is a man; he's a real person. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and then that and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's a real. Man. In the very next verse, verse 4, again, the Antichrist is exalted in the church. He's exalted in the church. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And as we just read, he shows himself to be God, or sits in the place of God, And you compare that with what we just read, Daniel, or not what we just read, what we just read with Daniel chapter 11 verses 35 and 36, it says, And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. That's the true God. The God of gods. And shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that, that is determined, shall be done. And in 1 John 2.18, we learn that there is one and many Antichrists. Most of you are familiar with that passage. It says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. There is one and many Antichrists. And uh, for the Antichrist, deceptive heresies are connected to him. 1 John, again, chapter 2, just a few verses later, 22 and 23, it says, Who is a liar? but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whoso denieth, whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. And Second John verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. And then 1 John 4 3 reveals that there is a spirit of antichrist that was in the apostolic church. There is a spirit of the antichrist that was in the apostolic church. It says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist was already in the world at that time, and then an Antichrist would come. Or the Antichrist would come. And then Revelation 13, verse 6, says that the Antichrist, another characteristic, opens his mouth... In blasphemies against God, that like we referred to earlier, It says that's Revelation thirteen six, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme His name and His tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. In Revelation seventeen verse three, the Antichrist is full of names of blasphemy. He's full of names of blasphemy. So it says, so he carried me away in the spirit in the wilder into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And then in Revelation 13 as a whole, the whole chapter, there is a connection that you see with the Antichrist between the civil magistrate and the false church, or the covenant-breaking church. And here he's there's there's a snippet, here's a snippet from that chapter. It says, "Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world." He's given power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And people worship Him. But those people who worship Him are not those who have names that are written in the book of life. Revelation 17.8, the Antichrist rules over a city that reigns over the kings of the earth. It says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And that woman is that whore of Babylon spoken of and controlled by the Antichrist, which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so that in the time of the apostles uh, was reigning over the kings of the earth. So the city, the whore of Babylon, is that place in the time of the apostles that had the greatest power in the earth. And that city, friends, is situated, we learn from the Scriptures, it's situated on seven hills or seven mountains on which the Antichrist rules. Revelation 17, verse 3 and verse 9, it says, "...so He carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns." Seven heads and ten horns. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. That is, uh, in which the city sits. There are seven mountains. And that is the place, the city, where the Antichrist reigns. And then the nations. The nations also live, this is the last one, also live luxuriously with the city over which the Antichrist reigns. Revelation 18, verse 9, it says, And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her, that is luxuriously, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. And to summarize all those characteristics, because I'm sure you might have missed some, uh, there's about 20 of them. There's probably more in the scripture, but there's 20 this evening for us. We find these The Antichrist leads a nation, he's a king or a series of kings, his kingdom comes out of the Roman Empire. He speaks pompous words. He makes war with the church. He changes laws and times. He is in part, he's in part of, or appears to be in the church. He's a deceptive office bearer in the church. He deceives with signs, wonders, and miracles, to which many uh, are in the church will perish and fall away. He's a man, a real person. He exalts himself in the church. He shows himself to be God, sits in the place of God. Uh, we know there is one antichrist and many antichrists. Deceptive heresies are connected to him. There's a spirit of the antichrist, so, so uh, a spirit of who that antichrist would be in the apostolic church, and yet, uh, and the apostolic church hadn't come about yet. He opens his mouth and blasphemies against God. He's full of the names of blasphemy. In him, there's a connection between the civil magistrate or the civil government and the false church. He rules over a city that reigns over the kings of the earth. He rules in a city that has seven mountains, or seven hills. And the nations live luxuriously with the city over which He reigns. And then, we see a couple more things that have to do with Him, kind of uh, tangentially. In Revelation 17, there it speaks of the ten horns. And it says, uh, which are the ten kings? And in verse 13 it says, they are of one mind, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings, one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. I said, as being of one mind, all of them are devoted to the one Antichrist and are sworn unto him. And therefore, a time they give themselves over to Him, all their power to help and support the Antichrist, and so that their civil power is at His feet, uh, made use of, in which the Antichrist will use to make wars, holy wars, against the Christ, even through His uh, bride, the true church. And then uh, Revelation 17, verse 13 says, "...These have one mind." and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And they They that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. So thankfully, though there is an Antichrist, we have victory in Christ, the true God of gods and Lord of lords. And so too, as these kings, those ten kings, uh, are described as committing fornication with the whore of Babylon... It says, Revelation 17, verse 2, "...with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication." And so there are eventually, those kings will begin to hate and leave the Antichrist. And those uh, those are the characteristics of the Antichrist. And there could be more in the Scriptures... Uh, but that is sufficient enough for us this evening. The doctrine of the Antichrist. That's the Antichrist. The second point. The Pope is the Antichrist. The Pope is the Antichrist. So the question comes, of course, uh, uh, this is the doctrine of the Antichrist, what we've laid down, what uh, God has given to us in His Word. Whoever the Antichrist is must fit every single characteristic that we find in the Scripture that describes the Antichrist, right? Has to. The Antichrist is all of them. Not one of them. Not a couple of them. And you know, when you go in the church, if you were going to other churches, and people speculate all day about, you know, if you talk about the Antichrist, they'll speculate all day, well, it's Nero, it's this person, it's that person, it's you know whoever. But each one that someone points to has one, maybe two of those characteristics. Maybe three. But not one has all of them. And that we need to remember is important. So when the church, people talk about the Antichrist, there's much speculation. But generally, the guesses and the speculation never come close to fulfilling every single characteristic according to what has been revealed in the Scriptures. And so, we can conclude with reason and logic. If there is no one that fits all 20 characteristics in the past or in the present then we could rightly conclude that the Antichrist has not come yet, and we ought not to speculate. But, if there is one that fits all 20 characteristics, either past or present, or both, then that one must be the Antichrist. And so we begin with this point, which says the Pope is the Antichrist. And that's not for any no, for no reason. There's many theologians throughout the, the, the history of the church that have concluded, along with uh, the Westminster Divines who have given us the Confession and Catechisms, they have concluded that the Pope is the Antichrist, in which the RPCNA and uh, our Confession says the same thing. And if you read them, they all go over the characteristics. of, From Scripture, those theologians, they always, when they're talking about the Antichrist and they're defending their doctrine, they go over the Scriptures. Just as we have done. And we find, just like they do, that the Pope fits all 20. Well, we can ask the question, does he fit all 20 characteristics? Does he lead a nation? Is he a king? Or a series of kings? The answer is yes. Vatican City is a nation. Though it's small in size, it's still a nation. Has a uh, king, a ruler, we could call it in our language, a president. Someone who is head over that nation. That's the pope. The pope is the head of that nation, and in other words, he is the king. And he even wears a crown, tiara, uh, at his coronation. Yes, when there's a new pope, every time there's a new pope, there is a coronation, and this is what is said at his coronation. It says, receive the tiara adorned with three crowns and know that thou art father and prince of kings, ruler of the world and vicar of our savior, Jesus Christ. So there isn't a pope and papacy. That is the series of kings. uh, Rulers over many centuries. Over a nation who are all called popes. They're bishops of Rome, right? The Lord through Daniel promised the Antichrist kingdom would come out of the Roman Empire. Well, if we know our history, and certainly the papacy and his kingdom, uh, even his nation, Vatican City, over which he rules, comes out of Rome and the Roman Empire. We know that if we studied history. Um, but this is also confirmed by what we read in Revelation 17 and 18 regarding the ten kings that we alluded to after we finished the 20 or so characteristics. Of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8. Our passage 7 and 8, it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked be revealed. The mystery of iniquity is that of the Roman Empire that held back. They held back the Antichrist, the papacy, to come about for a time. They held back the papacy for a time, until he be taken uh, out of the way. The emperors, that is the Roman emperors, if you know history, the Roman emperors came to be uh, pretty powerful, but yet also came to be nothing. And it is this that allowed the wicked, the Antichrist, to be revealed. The Roman government was the restrainer. The Roman emperors were the restrainer of this, the restrainer of the Antichrist, and the restrainer itself, the Roman Empire, was uh, the persecutor of the church first. And in that time, uh, there was a great falling away. Second Thessalonians ver- chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And so it was after the great persecution by the Romans that led to the great falling away But then the rise of the Roman Catholic Pope came about after Constantine was emperor and uh, began to rise in the 4th century under Damascus I. That's the Pope Damascus I. Constantine had brought the Edict of Milan, uh, which granted religious toleration for Christianity in the empire. And so no more persecution. And so then by the late 4th century, Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. But in the same time, the governmental power began to weaken as Constantine, from Rome, uh, moved to Constantinople. And which, with major leadership in Rome gone, what do you think is going to happen? There's a vacuum of power, and uh, there comes the Pope. And he grows in power from there and on and on in history. So the promise is there and fulfilled in the papacy for Rome. The Antichrist, another characteristic, speaks pompous words. I don't think we need to cover that very much here with our people. Uh, Certainly the Pope does that. We don't need to speak on that very much. And there's other things that we might not speak too much on, because they're apparent to all of us. Daniel 7 says, The Antichrist makes war with the church. It should be no surprise to you, friends, that the papacy of Rome attacks the true Christian religion. The Gospel. you I are mean, thinking not only of today, and certainly the Pope and the papacy does that, but in the time of the Reformation and after, how the papacy of Rome and the Roman Catholicism attacked those who held to the Word. God's Word. And uh, the Protestants persecuting them and putting them to death. But so too in doctrine. Um, by false doctrines. He attacks the true Christian religion. And then the next characteristic, he changes laws and times. Certainly we know the cal- where our calendar comes from. It um, comes from the Pope of Rome. So two laws. Many laws were determined in the Western Hemisphere for centuries by the papacy. And he's in, and he's part of, and appears to be of the church. Certainly true that's certainly true of the papacy. The Pope of Rome is a deceptive church officer, deceptive officer of the church the pope, the pope is said to be a prophet, a priest and a king. Those are the offices of Christ who's head of the church and the Pope is said to be those offices or hold those offices. And as the Antichrist he is truly none of those things but works at deceiving many. And many false teachings and heresies. He deceives through signs, wonders, and miracles by which many uh, in the church perish. To this is should be most evident if you've uh, paid attention to Roman Catholicism and uh, the Pope at all. Um, this uh, all the popes in succession have abounded in seemingly innumerable signs seemingly innumerable signs and wonders in which they call miracles. And uh, 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 saints, right? To be declared a saint, and so you don't have to go to purgatory in the Roman Catholicism, uh, you have to perform a miracle. And certainly all those popes try to perform those miracles. So they are called and determined to be saints. And um, you think of how many pilgrimages many people have made to places where they are noted for miracles and wonders from Roman Catholicism. Uh, So many have even come, as we learn in Deuteronomy 13, he's all confirmed his being a false prophet and one filled with deceit. But so so many have been deceived by the Pope of Rome through the working of signs and wonders. And they come to him uh, even for a blessing, right? Just to have maybe the, the... The paralytic kind of a person uh, touched by the Pope and have a blessing pronounced upon them by the Pope so that they can be healed. Um, He's a man. He's a real person. So each bishop of Rome who's crowned Pope of Rome is truly a real man, real person. The Antichrist exalts himself in the church. He rules and reigns in the church. Well, certainly he believes, and many believe the Pope to be head of the church. You go anywhere in the world. Who's the head of the church? The Pope. They call him the vicar of Christ. Whatever he says is. Who is known all over the world for being the head of the church? And that's not controversial that he does that or is known that way. And he shows himself to be God or sits in the place of God. We hear We heard the language, friends. Know that thou art father and prince of kings, ruler of the world and vicar of our Savior Jesus Christ. He shows himself to be God or in the place of God. He's the ruler of the world. He's father. He's the prince of kings. He has a throne he sits on in Rome by which he allegedly speaks the words that are preserved from all possibility of error, the infallibility of the Pope. Right? That's the doctrine of that, the false doctrine. And so there's so many reasons why people flock to him, seek to kiss his hand, his shoes, they worship him. And this also goes to the miracles that we just made reference to. They flock to the Pope for a special blessing, for a miracle of healing. They go to the Pope for this. When they ought to be going to Christ. There is one Antichrist and many Antichrists. Certainly there is one Pope. As well as there is many Popes throughout history. And on top of this, there are many anti, other Antichrists who live in the spirit of Antichrist. Just like there is a spirit of Antichrist in the time of the Apostles. Uh, There are deceptive heresies connected to them at at the very core. The Gospel, the perpetual virginity... These are all heresies. The perpetual virginity of Mary, the Immaculate Conception, the worship of Mary, veneration of angels and the dead, the Mass, the doctrine of purgatory, indulgences, idol worship, many idol worship, different types of idol worship, papal infallibility, which we just mentioned, and on and on and on. Now we can ask, was this spirit of the Antichrist in the apostolic church or in the time of the apostles? Yes, certainly was. There are things here and there, especially many deceptions. Idol worship. uh, There in the the first century church. He opens his mouth in blasphemies against God. How does he do this? The Pope does. By sitting as God in the church... On a throne as if he were Christ, the King of kings and ruler of rulers. He lets people call him by the name of God. He lets people worship him by assuming infallibility and etc. We go on and on how why uh, people worship him. He's full of the names of blasphemy. That is, he takes the names of God upon himself that belong to God only. Or Names that seem like they ought to be of God. So he's heard, we've heard that he's the King of Kings. He's not. Uh, We've heard that he's the ruler of the world. That is what they teach. Christ, though, is called King of Kings and ruler of rulers. He puts the name of Christ on him, so he's called the Vicar of Christ. He's called the Supreme Pontiff of the Universal Church, Patriarch or Father, Prince of the Apostles, Servant of the Servants of God his holiness, and on and on with his titles and names. And so there's a connection in the Antichrist between the civil magistrate as well and the false church. That's the Pope. right? He's the king of a nation. And he calls himself the head of a church, the church. He's the king and head of his own nation as well as the Roman Catholic Church. He even has an army. He has an army, people. He has an army. He rules from seven mountains or hills. In the city where he rules, there are seven hills or mountains. Those being, excuse me if I mispronounce them, Capitolinus, Palatinus, Eventinus, Esquilinus, Coleus, Viminilus, Viminalus, and uh, Curinalis. those mountains, those hills—very, there are seven of them. They are very close in proximity to each other. They are one to two and a half miles away from Vatican City. Of all the world, and they're one point or one to two and a half miles away. They're in the city where he reigns as pope. He rules over a city that reigns over the kings of the earth. Rome. He used to be the emperor of Rome ruled over the kings of the earth, but as we heard that changed and the bishop of Rome, the pope took over. And who has such power as the pope of Rome over the nations of the world? What nation forbids the pope to come and hold such sway over the leaders? How many times has he addressed British Parliament or... Our own Congress. The last time he addressed Congress in our nation was 2015. He does this. Each Pope is usually invited to do this. He's met with the president. Now, I might be off, but he's met with every single president of the United States since Woodrow Wilson. And most of the younger people, you don't even know who Woodrow Wilson is, how far back how far back that is. Right? The Pope has met with them. He does this with many nations. Not just our nation, but with many nations. He holds sway upon those leaders. That's why he meets with them. And they seek to meet with him. You think of so many in the past, not just our time, but the past. How many kings and queens of France, Italy, Germany, England, Spain, and others throughout history who did as the Pope, the Antichrist, commanded. And still is today similar in some nations. And then finally, the nations live luxuriously with the city over which he reigns. It's the papacy who brought much riches not only to Rome and to the Pope, but so too has brought in many nations to enjoy the whore of Babylon and her luxury, as we read about in Revelation. And so looking at the history... And considering the papacy, that is the many popes in the line of succession over centuries, shows in each of each of them the twenty characteristics. That is the papacy of Rome, which is therefore the antichrist. And so that our confession, agreeing with the scriptures, says there is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor can the Pope of Rome, in any sense, be head thereof, but is that antichrist that man of sin and son of perdition that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. So now, so what? If the Pope is the Antichrist, so what? Well, isn't it great? Think of uh, Matthew 10, right? we're hearing in the morning time. Isn't it great the Lord Jesus reveals the truth of the Antichrist? Isn't it good that He doesn't hide it from us so that we know that we can be watchful, we can be careful how we uh, interact with Roman Catholicism and the Pope and His teachings? That we know how dangerous then the papacy is. He takes people who are in the church, the visible church, and He deceives them and they perish. He's dangerous. But Christ Jesus reveals it to us so that we know that we won't be deceived. So we won't perish. That's how much He loves us. And so, the Pope is that very Antichrist that we're warned about and not to be deceived by Him. And all those Roman Catholic practices and idols must be put off from us. Every single one. That's not from Scripture because the Pope is not head of the church. Nor is he God. The Pope is the Antichrist. He's against Christ. And therefore, he is against You. He's against you. And so we must be against him because he's against Christ. That's why we're called Protestants. We are called Protestants because we protest against Rome and Roman Catholicism and the Antichrist who is the Pope. Not sure where along the way the Protestants stopped protesting against the Pope of Rome. Who is that Antichrist? But we have even reformed Christians now today uh, who know their Bibles, but have stopped protesting. Well we ought to protest because he is the Antichrist. He is against Christ. Anything that is against Christ, we hate and we're against them. Are you for Christ or against him? Christ Jesus reigns as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of rulers. He sits on the throne of His kingdom, which was given to Him by His Father, God the Father. God the Father, Jesus, the God-man, He is King, He's infallible. Who's infallible? Not the Pope. Christ is. The Pope says He's infallible. He's not. Christ is. Why do we need to know all this? Because our God reveals it to us. And what a blessing to know that Christ rules over the Pope of Rome. And that He will have an end. That's the whole point of uh, Isaiah 11.4 and and verse 8 of our passage here this evening, that Paul is referring back to that. Because how does the Pope come to destruction? It is through the the Spirit, the, the, the Word of God. It says, with the Spirit of His mouth He'll be consumed the Spirit of the Lord's mouth, through His Word and the preaching of His Word, that the Antichrist will come to an end. The papacy will be destroyed, though not yet. And so we ought to watch out today, friends. Watch out for the tanglings of Roman Catholicism. Rather, turn to Christ today by faith, trusting Him, of what He's told you from the Scriptures, from the Word, that He is Lord and Savior. And to this, uh, we know, uh, maybe close to our hearts, we know the gardeners did not listen to this, and were deceived by the deceitfulness of the Antichrist. But Jesus is the Savior you need. Jesus is the King that you need. The prophet who speaks His word that you need. He is the priest you need. The sacrifice who sacrificed Himself by giving up His body and blood there at the cross that we would be made right in Him. We don't need a deceptive false prophet and priest and king of Rome. No, we turn to Christ. And we believe on Christ. And we bow before and worship and kiss the Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not be ashamed. And that's the great privilege of knowing Christ. I will never be put to shame in Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We know that Your Word teaches many hard things. Sometimes hard for us to hear. But here, Father, we pray that You will grant wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Your Word. And who is that Antichrist? It seems very clearly from the Scriptures and what You say that it is the Pope of Rome. And he certainly is a deceiver. Uh, an instrument of Satan. And he certainly uh, is blasphemous. And He is no true King. We're thankful that we have a true King who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods. Even our Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior. And so grant us faith in Him and following Him that we would love what He loves and hate what He hates. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.